Coming up on this episode of East Screen West Screen, I'll be talking about this year's Shanghai Film Festival, the new film fund from IMAX China, the new 27 film slate from Bona Film Group, and Paul will be talking about SPL2, A Time for Consequences. This is East Screen, West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, they'd be full of it. And welcome to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. This is the show where we talk about films from Hong Kong, China, other parts of Asia, and occasionally some Hollywood films too. I'm your host, Paul Fox, and joining me once again from the back of a black market body shop in Bangkok is Mr. Kevin Ma. Bangkok? What What the hell? <laughs> oh, hi there, Paul. Hi, everybody. Um, I am lacking a kidney right now. <laughs> And I don't know where I am, and I don't know why I'm here. Did you, did you wake up in a tub full of ice? Yeah, but usually, you know, that happens to me once a week, so I didn't really think <laughs> much of it. Plus, I was in China for a couple of days, so, you know, totally expected, I guess. Mm. But yeah, missing yeah. a kidney now. I don't know yeah. what's going to happen. You didn't sell it for an iPad, did you? No, at least a 6 Plus. Come on, oh, okay. Paul. Yeah. There. Come on, I have better standards than that. <laughs> All right. Well, what's up with you, sir? How are you doing? Good, good. You know, I went to the um, Shanghai Film Festival, so I guess my, my festival tour, so to speak, is, is done mm. until uh, until autumn time. Um, but, you know, yeah, no less busy, still still working uh, on my freelance work. Um, I was talking on the last show that I've just finished some subtitles on the film and, you know, just the usual translation work for the rest of the week. How about you, sir? Uh, you know, it's uh, we're getting into the long, hot days of summer. Um, the I think the Tong um, Um Festival has just passed us by this past weekend. So that is a you know a lot of uh, dumpling eating, and uh, I guess some people were out in the heat uh, racing dragon boats. But I chose to uh, stay at home in the air conditioning, uh, watching television with my daughter, and just kind of enjoying the good life, uh, as it were. That's good. Nothing yeah. like the good life, man. Nothing like the good life. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, it's uh, just, uh, you know, uh, kind of keep on keeping on. And, uh, you know, work is doing well for the moment. So can't complain. Except for my kidney. I, I really want to know what happened yeah, to my yeah. kidney. Um, That's, that is a problem, yeah. yeah you're, uh, you know, uh, maybe you, you can check Taobao or... Uh, yeah, yeah I'm sure they're selling on. <laughs> Do you have Alipay, Paul? If I get Alipay, I can buy it back. Maybe. maybe AliExpress would be better because you kind of want to get that back pretty quickly. Yeah. All right. Um, so, <clears throat> yeah, we've got a lot of stuff to talk about today. Uh, we're going to talk about the latest film uh, from the SPL series, SPL2. But before we get into all of that, let's throw it back over to Kevin at the news desk with some news. <laughs> Okay, here at the news desk, 
um, hi. Uh, so let's talk about some of the uh, news. I just came back from the Shanghai Film Festival. Um, yeah, I, I don't know how to start the report of the Shanghai Film Festival because it's such a huge festival and you see so many things just from the few days. Um, I guess last week we were talking about uh, the Korean guests, right, uh, banned from the festival. Um, apparently, uh, after watching the red carpet, it confirmed that the three jury members were indeed not banned from the festival and they were the exceptions to the rule, kind of. Um, so they were allowed to attend the festival, they were allowed to walk the red carpet and they did their jobs. Um, and I'll talk about the winners in just a little bit. Um, also able to walk the red carpet was uh, actor Song Sun Hun. Song Sun Hun. See, again, you know, 10 weeks of Korean class, and I'm still not better at this pronunciation thing. Um, he walked the red carpet because he had been in China for two weeks filming um, a film called The Bombing, uh, co-starring Nick Say, uh, William Chang, uh, Bruce Willis, Liu Ye. So he was in China already, so he got to walk the red carpet. So, um, But all the other Korean projects, I was trying to interview a Korean director at the, at the project market, and that didn't happen because the Korean director was obviously absent. Um, so yeah, a very Korean-free presence at the festival. Um, of course, lots of complaining because it's one of the biggest film festivals in the world with, uh, I believe, 50 cinemas or 40, oh, sorry, 45 cinemas across the city playing 200, 300 films uh, over the course of one week. So imagine the logistics of all that. Uh, I think by scale, no other festival in the world matches that, that, that scale, having that many cinemas for films. And um, films in Shanghai are generally known to be actually be shown uncut. Um, they do make some sort of self-censorship when it comes to picking films, but they do pick films with nudity. They do pick R-rated films. For example, you know, Once Upon a Time in America. Um, I was told that Ex Machina or Ex Machina, I don't know how you pronounce it. Um, Ex Machina, the Alex Garland film, was shown uncut with the nudity intact. Um, so, yeah, that's one of the greatest things about that the Shanghai Film Festival is that, yeah, um, even though the, 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 um, the festival did show the China cut of Kingsman, The Secret Service, because that's the cut that Fox gave to the festival, not because the festival uh, edited it. Um, winners. Um, so a French-Belgium co-production, uh, The Night Watchman, won the the Golden Goblet Award uh, for Best Film. The film is about a shopping mall security guard who discovers that his colleagues are planning a heist in the mall, which sounds actually very um, interesting. Um, Cao Baoping's crime drama, The Dead End, starring Deng Chao, Guo Tao, and Duan Yihong, uh, won two prizes, uh, Best Director for Director Cao Baoping, and uh, the three main actors shared the Best Actor prize. So yeah, Go Guo Tao. You know, we're a huge fan of Guo Tao actually here at this podcast. Um, the film comes out in China on August 28th. And with Bona Film Group behind it, we may get to see a Hong Kong release sometime in the future. Um, but I guess that depends on uh, award more award wins. Um, a, I guess, Asian film. We're going to focus on that. Um, a Korean noir drama, The Shameless, won an artistic contribution prize. Um, a Chinese documentary, The Verse of Us, won the documentary competition. Um, outside the main competition, um, in the Asian New Talent Award, uh, Iran Film 13 won uh, Best Film and Best Cinematography. J Japanese indie drama, 0.5mm, won Best Director. Um... 
and beyond the festival competitions um, at the CCTV Media Award or the China Movie Channel Media Award, uh, 12 Citizens, the Chinese um, adaptation of 12 Angry Men, won 5 out of 10 prizes in that award ceremony, including Best Film, Best Director, Best Screenplay, Best Actor, and Best Supporting Actor. Um, so, you know, pretty big festival set um lots of mess up lots of complaints about technical difficulties and audiences and things like that but um yeah another it's another year gone by i sat through some forums and once again they're talking about internet and um co-productions and lots of industry professionals talking about the state of the film industry uh many of those reports i suppose will be on um film business asia in the future um one of my interviews is already online right now with um chinese young director su yang who uh, has a project at the project market so there will be an interview with an Indian filmmaker. There will be at least one report about uh, one of the forums I attended. Um, yeah, those are coming up uh, on Film Business Asia. Paul, any any questions you have about this year's uh, Shanghai Film Festival? Um, well, I mean, again, since I can only live vicariously through uh, you uh, jet setters, um, how does it compare to cons? I mean... Well, what, what do you see as some of the similarities? What do you see as some of the differences in terms of the the um, kind of audience, the kind of scale? Oh, hugely, hugely different festival. Uh, first of all, both in terms of um, um, similarities, both festivals are uh, are how do I say? Uh, the both both festivals are A list film festivals. Okay. Um, um, so that's one thing, I guess, in terms of technicality. But um, Cannes is um, a festival that's for industry professionals. Um, the market is as big as an event for uh, then as it is for the actual film festival, which is screening films. So it is a kind of a, a two events happening at the same time, but it is close to the public general public, the, uh, you really can't get access to any of the screenings if you're just someone who's not in the industry and you don't have a badge. But um, Shanghai is it's very much an audience festival. Like I said, you know, 200, 300 films showing at 50 cinemas, um, many of which are not for, you know, many of which are just for the Shanghai, local Shanghai, Shanghai people. Um, the take, there's, you know, general ticketing, even though that's also a pain in the butt. Um, um, the scale is much larger. Shanghai is a much, much larger city than Cannes. Um, and the competition title, let's face it, is not as impressive as Cannes. They have a lot, Shanghai has a lot fewer um, um, world premieres. They did have a few Chinese uh, world premieres of Chinese films, but but um, not nothing as big as Cannes. Essentially, everything that plays in Cannes is a world premiere. Most most films in Cannes are world premieres. Um, so yeah, those are the very different things. Like I said, Cannes is a very much glamorous. Uh, even though Shanghai is glamour, but but Cannes is an international event. It is glamorous. It's about yacht, about parties. It is about as much as it is about the red carpet, about watching the films, and about the market. And it's a very industry event. But yeah, Shanghai has. It's actually more audience oriented than industry, even though there is a very big industry aspect to to the festival itself so that's the difference okay let's see yeah so so i guess some of the news that we we see from uh this week's uh in shanghai like i said it's an industry event as much as an audience event so there are 
you know, industry announcements. And among the many, I'll just cover, you know, two of them uh, because they're more sort of relevant to, to us outside of China. Um, IMAX China, which is actually registered, registered in Hong Kong, is a subsidiary of IMAX Corporation, um, is establishing a China film fund with a company called China Media Capital for local productions. The um, initial investment will be up to 50 million US dollars. The film fund will be financing at least 10 Mandarin language tentpole films in China that can quote, leverage the IMAX brand relationships, technology and release windows with the flexibility to produce IMAX and non IMAX content and develop original films or co-finance studio productions. I don't know any of that makes sense to you. But simply said, the fund will be contributing at least three to seven million US dollars to each of the films that they're um, uh, participating in. Um, so I guess they're really sort of hedging their bet on the China market. It, uh, IMAX has done um, conversion, IMAX conversion, DMR conversions on a few big blockbusters such as Aftershock, Flying Swords of Dragon Gate, The Monkey King, uh, Jackie Chan's Dragon Blade, and the next film to be using that technology will be Chen Kaige's The Monk Comes Down from the Mountain, which is coming out on the 3rd of July. So yeah, I think this is the first time we hear about IMAX actually uh, investing money into productions, right Paul? Well, I mean, the flag that it raises in my mind is that they need content because they want to build more cinemas and maybe they don't have enough filmmakers out there making things in IMAX. Yeah, um, well, no, no, there hasn't been one Chinese film I think that's been shot on the IMAX camera, I think. But um, a lot of films in Hollywood are are converted to the IMAX format using the DMR technology. So even though they're not shot on IMAX, they are used, they are converted to be shown on IMAX. And that's what they've done in China is taking those normal films, shot on normal cameras, and then, you know, kind of we we remastering we, we them so that it can be seen on the IMAX in IMAX cinema. But if you're going to pay IMAX price for a movie, I think, you know, as a consumer, I want a movie that was shot in IMAX. I don't want a movie that was upscaled to IMAX. Yeah, but you know, IMAX is trying to sell that. Oh, you know, we're not just talking about the screen size. We're also pushing like fifty speakers from behind the screen. We're 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 also emphasizing an audio experience as much as a as a as a visual experience. And I think in that way, I I know it's a little iffy, but yeah, I could kind of buy what they're selling. But no, me neither. Actually, I haven't seen an IMAX film in ages. I haven't sat in an IMAX film since uh, at least intentionally since uh, gosh, we. Dark Knight Rises. How do you mention it? Yeah, I think the last one I oh. saw was um, Watchmen. Wow. Yeah. But no, didn't we see Dark Knight Rises together, Paul? I don't we think so, no. did, dude. We saw it at Ice Square in the afternoon, opening day. Did we? Yeah, we went to Angelo Baby Cafe. Oh, that's right. That was IMAX. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that was after Watchmen. So that that is the last one. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, but, uh, you know, it's, uh, I don't know. I mean, IMAX is nice and everything, but uh, it's hard to justify the price when you've got cinemas that are equally as nice. Maybe the screen size isn't quite as large, but they're half the price if they're not in 3D. So, Well, 3D is like double. I mean, 3D is just ridiculous prices, right? It's like, it's like um, here in Hong Kong, it's like 180 Hong Kong dollars to watch an IMAX 3D film. Yeah. And none of those are shot on actual IMAX cameras. So, yeah, but um, no, but it's great that you know IMAX is 
really well. I don't know if it's great, but you know, it's a very interesting uh, development because IMAX never actually put in money to to invest in films, and now they are. So, especially you know, this kind of shows how much they're emphasizing on on the the China market. Mm. Yeah. All right. All right. Uh, and you have some news about Bona. Yes, Bona Film Group. Bona Film Group, um, one of China's biggest um, uh, private film companies, uh, huge, huge company. Um, if you don't know them yet, I would just say they produce films like um, the Overheard series, um, a lot of Trey Hark films like Taking of Tiger Mountain, uh, Flying Circle Dragon Gate, um, Derek E's I'm Somebody. It's produced by them. Um, blah, what else? Simple Life is Bona Film Group. Anyway, so um, the chairman, CEO, Yu Dong, um, after announcing the week before the film festival that they're planning to go back to being private, as in delisting from the NASDAQ in the United States, now they're announcing a huge, huge slate of 27 films um, for the future. They don't really have a timeline, but they, they've announced 27 films. Um, so some of those, I'll just be going through them very quickly, because but some of them sounds very, very interesting. Um, those are in post-production or awaiting release uh, include Derek Yee's The Swordmaster, the 3D, um, uh, 3D wuxia film that's produced by Trey Hart but directed by Derek Yee. You have uh, Gordon Chan and Ronald Chan's um, pirate movie, Adventure, called Secret Treasure. I think that's coming this summer. And you have the uh, China remake of 20th Century Fox, um, Bride Wars. Um, they're also co-producing Ang Lee's latest film, Billy Lin's Long Halftime Walk, uh, Wong Jing's The Invincible 12, which was announced in local press last year. A um, lot of uh, major Hong Kong filmmakers. Uh, you have new crime drama from Dante Lam. You have a sequel to Wong Jing's Wohu that is going to be directed by Andrew Lau. Um, from Vegas to Macau Free. Yes, they also produced the two Vegas to Macau films, by the way. Um, and a new Wuxia project from director Patrick Tam, which is a name you haven't heard in a long time, right? Patrick Tam, the new wave, Hong Kong new wave director. He'll be working on a Wuxia film, apparently. That will be produced by Bona. Um, not much details, but there's also a new project from An Hui. Um, Ning Ying, who did a film called To Live and Die in Ordos last year that was uh that won the best actor prize at the tokyo international film festival um yeah so and he and the the you don't already says that he he expects the films to gross up to 1.61 billion us dollars which is a huge deal um yeah with 90 you know, percent of they, that coming from from vegas to macau three <laughs> vegas to macau three yeah <laughs> Yeah, so you know, huge company, and they're obviously trying to put their step back into the chi Chinese financial market. There are rumors that they were trying to get listed in China. Um, 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 yeah, so very exciting. I guess most exciting uh, thing is about Dante Lam film. I don't know. Did, did you want a sequel to Wohu, Paul? You remember Wohu? Uh, vaguely. Vaguely, there's one about that, the was, undercover. Was that the and, one with uh, uh, Sean Sean Yu? Sean Yu was in it I yeah. think and there's Eric Zhang Eric Zhang had a romantic plot yeah. line like of a flowerist or something yeah and it's about undercover cops and a gangster or something but yeah Andrew Lau who's been you know producing a few Wanjing uh, films will be directing a sequel which is very odd but you know it's happening there's also Alan Mack and Felix Chong who last did Overheard Overheard films uh, over three they will be doing a wuxia film as well but it's not as exciting as oh my god Patrick Tam sorry mm -hmm. Patrick Tam fan here so I'm very excited about that well, uh, thank you, Kevin, for the news of the week. 
Let us take a short musical interlude, and we'll come back with a review of SPL2, A Time for Consequences. Our film this week, SPL2, A Time for Consequences, from director Soi Chung. Um, the story here is pretty straightforward, um, more so, I think, than the first film. Uh, no real direct connection to the first film. This is a standalone film in the series. Um, during an investigation, an undercover Hong Kong police officer, played by Wu Jing, uh, gets caught up in an organ harvesting scheme gone wrong when the ailing leader of the cartel, played by Louis Ku, has the officer thrown into a Thai prison, it draws the attention of a young but righteous prison guard, played by uh, Thai actor Tony Ja. But with the life of his own daughter on the line, the prison guard must choose between honor and family. Um, so this is a kind of an interesting setup here, because um, the, one of the things they do in this film is they, they start off a little ways in, with uh, the Wu Jing character um, kind of waking up in prison, and um, you're not really sure who he is and and why he's there. He's trying to communicate. He doesn't speak Thai. He's using English. He's using Cantonese. Um, and then you have Tony Jaw's character is kind of looking, uh, you know, on it uh, at this guy who's kind of acting crazy. Then it kind of steps back and plays through events um, that happen to lead up to. Uh, his incarceration um, in the, the days prior. And uh, we start to get some understanding of what's going on. And basically, we learn that uh, Louis Koo is uh, the supervillain of this film, as I like to call him, because he looks like a supervillain. Uh, and he acts like kind of a supervillain. Doesn't have superpowers, but he's kind of got this megalomania thing going on, and he's got some great hair. Um, he is uh, basically part of this group that uh, um, basically abducts people and, you know, uh, harvests their organs, sometimes killing them in, in the process. So he's in charge of this organ harvesting cartel. The irony is, is that he himself has a failing heart. And uh, the, I guess the technology of medicine has extended his life as far as is possibly going to go and he needs a heart transplant, but he's got uh, some kind of very rare issue that he just can't have any type of heart transplant. He has to have a very specific person as a donor. Um, and though he's been trying to locate a suitable donor, uh, it turns out that the only one who's really going to be convenient for him is his younger brother. Uh, when his younger brother finds out about this, he kind of freaks out, as one would do, and decides to skip town. And this leads to a confrontation between Louis Ku's cartel and the police. And during this period, we learn that uh, Wu Jing is operating um, as an undercover officer. Um, but he's not without problems. Because he's been an undercover officer for so long, he's kind of gotten hooked on drugs, um, which is one of the... Um, you know, downfalls of uh, being part of that, that world. 
So he's not really fully in his in control of his his faculties while he's uh, undercover. The whole thing kind of uh, heads south and uh, um, goes wrong, and this is where he ends up getting captured and ends up getting um, thrown into a Thai prison that's under sort of the influence of the cartel. And so from here, things start to take off. We get introduced to Simon Yam, who comes in. He's like an uncle to Wu Jing. Uh, he's also a member of the force, and he gets involved trying to track him down and to help get him out. Um, and at the same time, um, Louis Ku is still trying to make a play to recover his brother so that he can take his heart from him. Um, if it sounds a little bit convoluted, um, it's not really. They do kind of sort of play this straightforward as a narrative. We get introduced to Tony Ja, who's working as a guard at the prison. We find out that he's got a daughter. She's also got um, some kind of an issue where she needs a bone marrow transplant. And the, um, uh, because she has a special condition, too, the donor list is uh, very, very limited. Um, there's a little bit of a coincidental connection uh, that, that comes to play. And this gets us back to the nature of the Chinese title, the, um, the uh, SPL uh, moniker which was, you know, very significant with the astrology stars um, and the relations between uh, certain characters. Now, Kevin, do you remember from the first film uh, how that played out? What about the... The, 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 the signs for the characters like SPL? And... Uh, I believe... Uh, well, okay, the Chinese characters are Sat, Paul, and Long, right? So the each character represents one star. Um, I believe the three stars in the first film was Donnie and Simon and Samuel. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And, and, and like it was, it was, it was like part of the fortune telling part of the astrology was like these, about one, the one was supposed to help the other and the other was the bad luck of one or something like this. Something they, like there's a wolf, obviously is a wolf, and I think the wolf is you know the bad guy or yeah. something. I don't know how it works. You know the whole thing. It's all but weird. They, they kind of allude to that here, but it's never really clear. Um, well, according to the character posters, and I know character posters is not really the best way to to go through it, but apparently the three stars are the Louis Ku character, the um, the the prison the warden, and the um, Gosh, who's the third one? Not Tony Ja. Ah, oh, Wu Jing, the Wu Jing character, and so, and Tony Ja is like the fourth star for the reason. Okay, according to the that's, character, that's kind of weird. I do, I wouldn't have thought I know. that. Uh, yeah, the uh, prison. Uh, who was that? Um, John Zhang. Zhang Jian. Zhang Jin. Zhang yeah. Jin. Um, <clears throat> who you might remember from uh, from Vegas to Macau, and a couple other movies. He's uh, he the had, Grandmaster. Yeah, the Grandmaster. He's 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 uh, he's, he, he's he does action pretty well, but uh, he's a trained martial artist. Yes, he tends to look a little bit like Robert Patrick from Terminator Two. You know, he's this was sort of the joke we had after the film. He he just kind of looks like a robot most of the time, <laughs> um, but he does carry off the action very well. Um, so yeah, Tony Jaw is in, and unfortunately Samo's out, um, and Donnie's not here. But we do have um, Simon Yam. And uh, we, we've got uh, Louis Ku, who uh, doesn't do any real action here. He's kind of a sickly sort of Mr. Burns type character. But it's really, he really plays this off um, 
pretty well. I mean, considering some of the other roles he's had uh, so far this year, it's interesting to see him sort of take this more subtle but evil approach uh, to a character. Uh, the action here, though, is really what people are going in to see. Uh, if you know Tony Jaws in it, you know Jing's in it, you're expecting a lot of action, and it really does deliver on that front from the very first sort of smackdown confrontation we get between Tony John Wu Jing um, all the way up to the final fight where um, they are kind of working in tandem. Um, there's, a, there's, there's one sequence, I think, that doesn't really work for me, and there's a point where this this guy who's an assassin comes in with knives. I don't remember the actor's name. Um, he comes in and he basically takes down an, an entire troop of police officers with guns with these two little, you know, tiny hand knives. I mean, he's good, and then he's suddenly not good because when he's suddenly faced with Wu Jing, who has nothing more than a, a, night, a nightstick, um, you know, uh, sort of a police officer's baton, the guy, you know, is, you know, he, he crumbles all, all, you know, pr pretty quickly. Um, so I think there's, there's a little bit of an imbalance in, in what they establish that this character can do uh, against guns versus against a guy with a stick. It's just um, uh, a little bit too much suspension of disbelief in, in, in that particular action sequence. Um, I think, too, that the narrative is really strong here. For me, it was much stronger than the first film, though I get the sense that some people still like the first film a little bit more, um, so I might be in the minority on this. The brother's story between Louis Koo and his, um, his brother, I think, is really the weakest part. Um, it's the part I kind of had the most trouble with. I get that Louis Koo is this evil guy, um, but um, I really, you know, th their struggle kind of plays out almost separately from the struggle of the other characters in the film. Um, and in many ways, there's no real confrontation um, across these story arcs. Um, but I do think the narrative arcs for Tony Jia, Wu Jing, and, and Simon Yim are all well-grounded. I was really behind the characters. I thought that um, their performances were really, really good. And, um, you know, I, I, I came to really root for um, all of them in, in, cer in certain points. And I really liked um, Wu Jing's performance here. Um, I think this is perhaps one of the best performances he's done to date. Um, he gives a really strong performance. Uh, the film is a little bit gruesome at times. Um, they At one point, they sort of end up in this chop shop where they're harvesting um, organs. At a scene early on, there's a decision made um, with uh, one of the women that they've kidnapped who happens to be pregnant that they're going to go ahead and harvest her heart, uh, you know, and basically that's going to kill the child. So it's it's kind of, in, it goes into some dark places. It never really gets category three level gruesome. Um, but there, you know, there is some blood and body parts in places. The first um, film, I guess, reminding everyone, the first film was category three, even though I don't remember why. Yeah. Right. I don't remember I, I any remember, particular. I think the knife's, <clears throat> Some of the knife stuff with Wu Jing um, yeah. got pretty violent, but I don't remember why anything beyond that. There wasn't any swearing, I remember correctly. There wasn't any sex in it. Yeah. And the prequel, the so-called prequel Flashpoint, also uh, a Category 2B, not, mm. not Category 3. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, so the action's really good. Uh, for fans of uh, Game of Thrones, if you'll flash back to last year, Season 4, Episode 9, you'll remember that uh, it was the Battle of the Wall, and they did this really great long shot where they panned across uh, the entire fort of the wall as the battle's going on. And so you get to see these action sequences, kind, of, and it looks like this whole massive thing is happening uh, in real time across this pan. A lot of staging, a lot of planning going into that, right? Um, they kind of do a similar shot here during a prison riot. Uh, it actually goes on a little bit longer than what I remember from um, the, the Game of Thrones episode. It's not quite as clean technically, but it's still freaking awesome. Um, it's really amazingly done. It's a lot of planning, a lot of coordination, and um, I think it's one of the most entertaining moments of the film because there's a lot going on as the camera bounces around to um, all the different characters who are involved in, in this thing that's going on. There's a lot of action storytelling that's happening in that scene. There's also a lot of narrative storytelling that's going on. There's a couple things that I even kind of had to rethink and, and talk about after the film because I really wasn't sure um, what I was seeing because there's just a lot of information um, being kind of thrown at the audience in that point. Um, yeah, and the other thing too about this film is that it's got the world's best translation app ever <laughs> uh, because you've got characters here who can't speak to each other. And you know, so, so there are a couple exchanges where you know, one person doesn't speak Thai, the other person doesn't speak English well or doesn't speak Cantonese. So they decide to use this app from a phone. It sounds better than Siri. It's much better than Google Translate. So it is the app of the future until the Star Trek Universal Translator comes along and makes it all irrelevant. Um, and so, yeah, there was a joke that without mobile phones in this movie, the movie probably would have been about 60 minutes long because <laughs> there's so much time spent with people passing a phone back and forth uh, while they're talking to each other. Um, but it's not overly distracting. I think it does kind of help the effect of the movie. Um, the movie, for the most part, is in sync sound with, you know, Tony Jaw speaking Thai and a little bit of English at times, his daughter um, speaking Thai, um, and the rest of the cast, Wu Jing, bouncing around between English, uh, Putawa, Cantonese, uh, Simon Yemen Cantonese, and it works. Um, I think Ken Lowe is here. He's got a really nice kind of supporting role as Tony Jaw's friend, and um, he channel switches a couple times. And I, I just appreciate that the film is in sync sound, that they didn't decide to dub Tony Jaw and dub a bunch of the other actors uh, into Cantonese. Uh, for me, it's a much more effective film uh, because you have these characters struggling with language, and if they've got to use a phone to get around it, so be it. I'm, I'm okay with that. Um, I do think that once the film gets toward the ending, there's a situation that comes up um, amongst uh, some of the protagonist characters and uh, the daughter character. And I think that they're trying to keep the audience guessing. And perhaps they do this a little bit too much. It kind of goes on uh, a little bit too long. But um, unlike many... Um, Soi Chung films. So um, I'll say that I like this one um, a lot because he could perhaps go to a very, very, very dark place and he chooses uh, perhaps not to be as dark as he could be. Um, overall, I really enjoyed this film. Um, I think it's probably up for, uh, at least so far to date, uh, best action of 2015 films. And um, 
perhaps some best supporting roles or, or, or maybe even a um, a best actor nomination for Wu Jing because he kind of goes to some interesting places. He um, spoke Cantonese in the film. That was really impressive, yeah, actually. Yeah, that was. And um, you know, I it's, it's for me it was one of the most entertaining films of the year so far. We've had a couple good films with um, the prison film and then this film. Um, so it's you know it's good to see a film like this that's a um, got a pretty big budget. It's got um, some pretty good development going on. It's got a mixed cast, and so I hope the film does well, because um, I think it's a it's a testament to action films, and it's a it's it's a solid film in and of itself. Not not complete without problems, but I think the problems themselves were not big enough for me to really um, you know uh, want to downplay it at all. So I think it's a really good film. If you like action films. If you like the first SPL, I think you're going to like this. You might, again, not be in the same camp with me and thinking this is a better film. Um, but then again, you might, because I really enjoyed it. You know, I kind of echo, I don't want to talk about too much about, you know, reviewing, but I kind of echo your sentiments about SPL 2. It's a very complex written film, almost too much so, but um, a lot of great action. And actually, Soi Chan kind of brings back his directing mojo after being kind of the execution guy on um on monkey king so it's a very unique it's not very unique and you know the action is there's a lot too much wires but yeah i i i and i'm like i said i'm very impressed about wu jing speaking after wolf warrior uh, i'm even more impressed by wu jing you know going back to this hong kong role and playing a hong kong or trying to speak cantonese i i was kind of impressed um but yeah i, I kind of echo a half echo your sentiments about spl2 mm. So there. Did you enjoy SPL one? Uh, um, um, geez, it's been too long. I remember it being very greatly hyped. Um, All I can remember is the is the end. I the end fight with Samo left a big impression on with me, and then of course Wu Jing. The ending, but actually was fight. the, the um, I don't really yeah, remember much fight. much beyond it. I it's it's not a film that uh, you know. Um, just uh, well, speaks back to my mind for some reason, but well, I think this a, one is going to be a lot more memorable for me. Maybe well, because I'm biased, maybe because it's like family oriented and the daughter and everything. I don't know. Um, I just for for me, I think this one is a, this one seems to have a more of a re rewatch value. I think I'm I'm interested to see this again on video when it comes out. The thing is, I, I think one of the great a good I guess advantages i suppose of, of the first spl film is that the plot was so utterly simple it's all these cops hunting trying to hunt down um the evil gangster and that's it right it's a very simple um actually i was talking we were talking i was talking to ross ross chan of love hk film before we watched a week before spl2 and he said hey recount the po the plot of spl1 and then neither do it. Can't do it. Neither of us could can remember. And um and but actually it's a rather simple point. It's just, oh Donnie gets brought in to hunt down Samo. And then I guess spoiler alert. Should, should I give the spoiler? The big ending. <laughs> it depends on which version you watch. If you watch the mainland China version, it's a happy ending. If you watch the Hong Kong original version, it's a sad ending. Yeah. So, but yeah, uh, um, those, those are things I remember, and of course the, the alleyway fight uh, with 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 Wu Jing. Um, so yeah, it was a very simplistic simplistic film, and honestly, if you ask me, I thought it was rather overhyped mm. at the at that moment. But looking back, is actually you know quite a solid action film and very hard. Yeah, it's, still, it's still one a lot of people talk about. I mean, and like I said, it's very very simple, and actually that makes it even easier to rewatch. I think. 
listening to the East Screen West Screen podcast. Visit Comcast.com for more. Well, there you have it, folks. That's our review for this week. You have been listening to East Screen West Screen. If you would like to be part of the show, you can get in touch with us via the website at concast.com. That's K-O-N-G-C-A-S-T dot com. Or you can hook us up on Twitter, twitter.com slash concast. You can drop us a line via email. That is eastscreen at gmail.com. And, of course, you can find us over on the Facebook and uh, other forms of social media. Kevin, what What's are you up? doing? Where can they find you? What am I doing? I'm I'm sitting here in my pajamas. Am I okay? No. <laughs> uh, yeah, you can find me um, on uh, Twitter under the Golden Rock. That's one word, the Golden Rock. You can email me at uh, Kevin at Fimbiz Asia. You can uh, look at my daily news work on uh, Film Business Asia, which is www.fimbiz.asia. Um, and actually, just before recording the show, I just got an email um, asking me to go on BBC Radio. So there might be a BBC Radio interview coming up sometime in the future. Uh, you my speak voice. with a British accent when you're on BBC. No, no, I'm American. I'm going to be doing my American accent because that makes me special. You know, they have to get the American on the so you feel so insulted. A southern gonna, accent, or no? It's, it's gonna be awesome because they, they must feel so insulted. They would get someone with an American accent on to talk about to 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 do an interview instead of someone with British gentleman accent. So it'll be I'll be quite amused by that. But yeah, um, there might be happening. So uh, I guess Paul or me, we can post something on the Facebook page when that happens, if ever it happens. Um, yeah, that that's it. All right. Well, that's all great and. Uh... Now, be honest. You're not sitting there in your pajamas. You've got underoos on, right? I can wear underoos in my pajamas, dude. But no, I'm actually in t-shirt and jeans because I'm too lazy to change. All right. Um, so, yeah. Uh, next show um, looks like what's going to be on the slate is perhaps uh, the Terminator. Terminator Genesis. I'll be back. Uh, he'll definitely I'll be back. Back. And, and Back to the Future or something. Um, we probably don't have a Hong Kong film or a China film coming until Monster Hunt, which I think will be following that. Um, so yeah, Terminator Genesis will, for West Screen will probably be our next show. Um, all of that and more. Until then, this is the East Screen, West Screen podcast saying don't sell your kidney for an iPad and we'll see you next time. See you next time, everybody. Uh-huh.